right, my friends. Well, hello and welcome back to Trekology. Thank you so much for joining us on yet another adventure. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Jeff, and with me always is Greg. How are you doing, Greg? Good. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well. It's a rainy day here in California, so that's always good, especially for us in Southern California. I took some students to winter camp this weekend, so I come home on Sunday after two two days being gone, and so the dream is always, Daddy! And they just run to embrace me like they do sometimes when I come home from like the store after 20 minutes or whatever. But this time I open the door and my daughter just looks at me and just starts shaking her head and says, not you, not you, not you, (laughs) which she does frequently. I guess she was in a mood. So that was not my ideal homecoming, but no, what are you going to do? So, hey, before we dive in, how about some Star Trek updates? For for one, how is your response to the fact that apparently we are going to get another J.J. Abrams movie? My question is, how for sure is this? I mean, we've we've been promised movies from other directors, too, in the past, and they just... There's an announcement, everybody's excited, and then kind of fizzles out. My question's in your question. Would the first one be... Are people excited? I heard that and I groaned. I was like, seriously? I mean, even if you were a fan of those movies, the last one was kind of the, all right, you guys have just run out of momentum. I I mean, at some point, the first one seemed to bring some energy back and some interest back into Star Trek. And at this point, I feel like it's a negative. It's starting to, I don't know, sucking energy out. Uh, I saw something today that said uh, that it was news to the actors. They were like, oh, we are? So it doesn't sound that serious, but... No, it doesn't. And and the, the problem is, is uh, I don't see why they would be expending the energy nor the money to do another thing in the Kelvin universe right. when we have so much going on in the Prime universe. Right. Right. The bottom line is it's going to be money. They still have a very like very hot commodities in nobody really cares that it's Star Trek. They care that it's Chris Pine. They care that it's Carl Urban and Zoe Zaldana. Like that's that's what they're coming to see. They don't really care what the name of the movie is. Well, if that's all they're in for, you know, then they should be happy with whatever J.J. Abrams vomits onto the screen. Uh, yes, yes, that does seem possible. I mean, if Paramount is the one that has the exclusive rights, like they can just do with it as they please, then yeah, we may all be in trouble. Right. But there we are. So on the positive side, any other Star Trek experiences or viewings over the past week or so? So I've been I've been waiting to talk to you about Uh-oh. this, despite all the several times that I've seen you since this happened. <laughs> I was at my in-laws' house, mm-hmm. and my father-in-law has been a Star Trek fan since the original series. Oh, okay. They gave me a, a late birthday present, which was this collage sort of puzzle of Next Generation. Okay. Really cool. Uh, original, still sealed in its original packaging. Oh. Apparently, my mother-in-law lifted it from my my father-in-law's collection of Star Trek Whoa. things and wrapped it and gave it to me. Also, they have this bust of Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Okay. It's about maybe a foot, a foot and a half tall. Wow. And the head comes off to reveal a decanter underneath. Wow. <laughs> built okay. into his chest. So you take off Spock's head, take out the cork, that's yeah. on the top and pour out, you know, whatever your favorite alcohol is out <laughs> of best, which is just incredible for so many reasons. Right, right. I feel like we should uh, we should have your father-in-law on or at least like record something from his uh, his study or something uh, just surrounded by memorabilia it sounds like <laughs> is it is it displayed prominently like is this this is a source of pride still it's on his dresser in his bedroom okay 
Okay. Let's see. So for me, I've actually had more Star Wars experiences over the past several weeks. Uh, For one, uh, you and I, as you well know, tried to play the Star Trek collectible card game, but I wasn't able to locate my cards. So instead, we played the Star Wars collectible card game, which was also good. I still feel like Star Wars was head and shoulders the best one. I, like hats off to the Star Trek one. I enjoy it, and I like it, they try to do it Star Trekky, but it's tough when the focus is not just fighting each other, and that's the point of the Star Wars. It's a Star War. I mean, so it, it, yeah. it's a war among the stars. It is. They don't mess around, man. They're not trying to trek through anything. No, no, no. They just fight your fight your enemy, and whoever survives is the winner. So that was that was fun. Uh, uh, again, it's kind of re-sparked some uh, some interest in that for I think yeah, for both that, of us. That was a ton of fun. The other one that I did want to mention before we dive in here is uh, tonight and last night. Uh, my son has gotten really big into Lego Star Wars. He's well, both the show Lego Star Wars on Disney and also especially the video game. He plays that Star Wars Lego video game. That's what he thinks Star Wars is. So uh, Judy had the idea the other night. Hey, do you want to watch the real Star Wars? And they were kind of like, yeah, but Lightning McQueen, like, let's watch that instead. And so just put it on. And as soon as the like all eyes like you know they just sat down and just fell in to the world so we did part one last night we did part two tonight and um that's yeah. fantastic. He, How did that go? Well, technically, he had seen it before because I watched it for my birthday a couple of years ago, but he was too young and just lost interest and wasn't into it. But now that he's had all this time into it, yeah, he was way... He kept telling me what was going to happen next. He's like, you know, next dad is where the Ewoks show up. And they're going to... Even though that's not what happens next, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's what happens in either one of the shows or in the video game. Princess Leia's friend is going to shoot the guy, and that's where all the coins come from so it was pretty good though when it got to the throne room scene he you know and the big march music is playing he stood straight up and down at attention and was 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 very much was very committed to it so well that's great and the thought did occur to me as we were finishing up i i mean this is a very natural connection again you got the star wars lego cartoon you got star wars literal star wars legos you've got the star wars lego video game all that leads him into star wars the movie awesome because also i feel like now it doesn't take a very hard turn i bet you anything we could go from here to watching a star trek movie and i think i think he'd be into it especially like as strange as it sounds maybe some of the like beginning of star trek the motion picture where they're doing Mm -hmm. just the like ridiculous long shots of the enterprise or when you see those klingon ships getting like swallowed by v'ger uh, I think he'd be into Spock floating in space. I think he'd be into some of that sort of stuff. So we might just skip the whole like love with falling in love with a robot part and all of that stuff. <laughs> the people getting melted in the transporter might be a little bit much, a little bit much for him at this point. I think your your son has more of the attention span than mine does for that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, again, Star Wars is easy because it's it's you know there's not much talking before there's action. Like they're screaming, talking while they're running and shooting at people. So right. that certainly helps. All right. But that's enough Star Wars for one episode, I think, <laughs> because I of am the Star Trek podcast. It is. It is. It's literally called Trekology, my friends. So I am excited because we had premised this for a little while. I think going all the way back to 2021, we had been talking about Captain's March Madness. Now, I know technically it is not March yet, but we're only a couple of days away. And because we only do this podcast every other week, we would only get two episodes in March. So what we are going to do is starting this episode, we are going to do a Captain's March Madness where we have made a tournament of all, well, not all, of eight (laughs) of the Star Trek captains. And we are going to go through each one of these captains and try and determine 
which one is the greatest captain of all. So this is technically a three-part episode where we will do uh, part one, the quarterfinals right now. Next episode will be the semifinals to be followed by the finals in uh in two episodes so are you ready for this greg i am so ready have you had this have you had anybody to have this conversation with who is the best star trek captain as you know my my wife and i we we take long car trips a lot (laughs) okay and this is something that inevitably comes up at least once a year is there any debate because you guys are both next gen fans right honestly it's largely between picard and kirk okay i mean that's the common and one, that right? I will always take the side of Kirk. And really? And my wife always takes the side of Picard. Wow. And we just... I wouldn't have thought but, that. I thought you were a Picardite. We'll get more into that as uh, okay. as okay. our journey to definitely name Kirk as the best captain ever. Wow. But okay. yeah, we, we have this discussion all the time. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you are familiar with March Madness, the NCAA tournament, you know that number one seed will face the number 16 seed. You know, you do the round of 64 and then the round of uh, 32 and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to just do three rounds. So we have the first round, which is the round of eight. Now, I have to apologize. You do have to have somewhat of a pre-ranking, even though there can be upsets in Cinderella stories. That's kind of the point here. So just for the sake of organization, I listed out the initial rankings thus. Captain Picard, one. Kirk, two. Captain Sisko, three. Captain Janeway, four. Captain Archer, five. Captain Christopher Pike, six. Captain Edward Jellicoe, seven. And Captain Gabriel Lorca as eight. Now, again, the only reason that that really matters is the matchups. Because the fact that we put Picard one and Kirk two doesn't really matter other than the bottom ones. That means this first round is Kirk against Jellicoe. Pike against Cisco, Picard against Lorca, and Archer against Janeway. So it doesn't really matter like their overall rankings. It just matters for this initial matchup. But outside of maybe a you know a, a Cinderella upset, we would expect the higher ranked seeds to move forward. So I did feel like the the top five were relatively easy. Maybe not the order, but those five people were all captains for an entire series or more of the show but beyond those five and even you know you and i greg we're talking about discovery so Lorca and pike um we're, we're treating pike i think we should consider both the pike that we saw on discovery and the one that we saw from episode one or the pilot or whatever as the same character because he's supposed mm-hmm. to be right he is supposed to be the same character right And then Lorca, uh, we never really get to know. I mean, he was kind of a bad guy, so it does seem like kind of a shoe-in. But we did get to see him for about half a season as the captain. So, um, yeah, he seems like he fits. And then Edward Jellicoe, if you're not familiar with him, he was the one in the episode Chain of Command where... uh, uh, Captain Picard went on the secret mission and got captured by the Cardassians. And so Jellico was actually given command of the Enterprise to be the official captain for a two-part episode. So we didn't get to see as much of him, obviously, as these other guys with an entire season. But we did get, like, it did go into his captaining style, which mm-hmm. I felt like that... Uh, fits well i mean especially as a number seven seed right the last part that i did want to mention for this round we're going to use stephen covey's seven habits of highly effective leaders as a list to judge who would be the best between these pairings if you are unfamiliar with stephen covey he's kind of a big leadership guru kind of a guy he explains them obviously it's an entire book so it's a big you know there's a lot to it but To put it succinctly, the seven habits he talks about is that highly effective leaders are proactive, visionary, they can prioritize, they are win-win, they listen, they synergize, in other words, they utilize other people's strengths, and they improve themselves. So we'll just start with uh, our one to eight seed, and we're going to go through this list and uh, score each one of our captains 
on a scale of one to five in each of those seven areas. All right, Greg, are you ready? I am ready. All right, here we go. So starting off with number one, Captain Picard. How would you view him as proactive on a scale of one to five? Picard is pretty proactive. Mm. I mean, almost almost always is making the first move when trouble strikes, you mm. know? I would put him at, a, at least at a four, if not a five. Okay, okay. Proactive, I mean, the only dig I would say on Picard is I feel like he tends to be a little on the hesitant side as far as aggressiveness. Yeah. Because he always wants to find the diplomatic solution, which again, I don't think is a bad thing, as opposed to Michael Burnham, for example. Like Michael Burnham seems like she'd be like a nine in proactive, where she's like, preemptive strike, like blow them up, like that, especially in the pilot episode. Right. At least in that particular instance, that was her instinct. Now, proactive. I don't think it necessarily means doing the first strike all the time, but planning ahead. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think proactive. I think there's a level of boldness, though, that goes with proactive to me. If we're talking the willingness to punch first, Hmm. if he's faced with trouble, if he's going to be the first one out of the gate, I would agree with you and Hmm. put it more a two or a three. Because wow. he, okay, it's true. You're right. He does keep it back. All right. Well, I was going to say a three, and we can lower yours to a three as well. I'm okay with that. Because on the flip side, I think Lorca is pretty proactive. Like, again, he is uh, almost impetuous and overly bold, I would say. You know, in that first season, Stamets forcing him to, like, torture himself so that he can Mm -hmm. use this magical drive thing. That seems pretty, what I would call proactive, to to a negative degree. Right. The storyline with him trying to overthrow Giorgio in the Mm -hmm. mere universe, Mm -hmm. that's about as proactive as you can get. Uh, Yeah, I would definitely put him as a five. Okay. So... We have an early lead for Lorca, my friends. So now if we're going to talk about visionary, basically always kind of having that end in mind and the end goal. For me, I feel like Picard scores pretty high in this. I feel like the ability to be able to see the ramifications of his actions. Mm -hmm. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I would also give him high marks for that. I would say four. Okay. I gave him a five. So now Lorca. It does sound like Lorca's entire time we saw him, because he was from the Mirror Universe, was all for this purpose of getting back to the Mirror Universe, getting Michael, and even the one episode where he, what does he, blow up a shuttle or does whatever to get Michael back on the ship? Right. So he does seem singularly focused very much so incredibly focused and willing to play the long game Mm. which he does because he's in the prime universe for years yeah plotting his return okay okay and and lining up everything in order to get there Mm. so he's absolutely i mean i i would again give him a five okay for this All right, so we're at fives. So now the third one is prioritizing. I don't know. It seems like Picard has that as a strength as well. He's a leader figuring out which things are important. I don't know that I can ever remember Picard valuing something that was not the main thing. No, I think we can all look to him Mm. as a hashtag goal and prioritizing things because he's very good at making sure that the right things get done at the right time Mm. over and over. I think he's he's near perfect in that. Okay, okay, we get he gets fives. So now Lorca, his personal priorities are one thing, but I would say putting his personal priorities over any other priorities I feel mm-hmm. like he's got to he's got to come down in my book for that because it's his personal priorities rather than the priorities of his crew. Exactly. It seems like the only thing that really mattered to him was his goals in the mirror right. universe. So right. what was going to happen to the crew? What was going to ha- happen even to Michael? What was going to happen in the Klingon War? He didn't care about any of those things. No. So even though his priorities might have been straight. He w- he was unwilling to, you know, negotiate any priorities, I thought. Yeah, we could put him down for that. Although, if we're just talking about 
his priority and making sure that he gets what he wants. Sure. That's obviously number one all the time. Exactly. But I agree because we're talking about leadership here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas Picard, you see him prioritize what's good for the crew above his own personal priorities. Right. I would argue that Picard even prioritize the good of the crew, their cohesiveness above his ability to to be with them. Hmm. And that that could even be the priority that he saw. It's more important that they see me as a leader rather than seeing me as a friend. So going back to Lorca, yeah, I would give him a three. Okay. I gave him a two because I agree. I, I don't because of his personal priorities. I don't think you can give him like a one or a zero. Mm-hmm. The next one is win win. So this is preferring like not being selfish, which is I win you lose, and not being a martyr, which is I lose and you win. But instead, win win. So that is where like Lorca. It's a one because it's always win lose. Or if you happen to win, that's coincidental. That was like Michael technically benefited from things that he did, but that was that was not the point. You just got lucky. So with Picard, I'm trying to think of times when we saw Picard be selfish. I'm thinking about like Iborg, where because of his experiences with the Borg, he could not see Hugh as an individual. So his own biases like got in the way. But when he got called on it, he figured it out and he like changed his perspective on that. It doesn't seem like the selfishness is is his goal. The martyrdom... I don't know that we see a lot of that either because he's usually just not on the line at all, you know, not, and I don't mean personally like getting in danger, but just like my needs as opposed to the ship's needs, his needs aren't even addressed, which maybe could be part of that. I don't know. Yeah, I would rate him four because his goal is usually a win-win kind of scenario. I don't know. I don't know that as a is captain. That, is that the right way of looking at this? It is, but I don't know that as a captain, he's even thinking about his own winning. Like, how do I make sure that my goals are met as well? It's a little tougher, I think, in this particular scenario. I, I put him as a four as well, so I think that's a, an interesting one. Okay, so moving on. The next one is listen. And I like Covey's description where he said, understanding first, then being understood. And I do feel like Picard does listen. I mean, we get people coming into the ready room all the time. He always seems to be asking Counselor Troy, what do you think? Asking uh, Mm -hmm. Riker, what do you think? The understood part, I don't know that he always prioritizes, like, I need to make sure that everybody understands the reason I'm making this decision. And maybe that's not his role. I think that... Like what you're talking about, how often do we see like these meetings that he has in the uh, ready room with his top advisors, right? listening to everything everybody has to say? And even in several episodes, we get lower ranked people coming in and sharing what they their concerns are or their expertise. He is a good listener hmm. and prioritizes that before making a decision himself. Hmm, that's true. That's true. I'm going to give him a four because okay. it, there's another captain on here. I think does a little bit of a better job, but I guess I shouldn't. Because then compared to Lorca, do we see him listen to anybody ever? No. Do we see him <laughs> explaining himself to anybody ever? No. I mean, <laughs> just by chance, you right? know. Doesn't he bring them into his ready room at some point and something, something, something? He he, he has a ready room. There are scenes, but. Mostly it's him, you know, bullying the other people or manipulating them. Ah, interesting. That's a good point. So now another one, uh, synergizing or synergy or whatever, which is basically utilizing other people's strengths. You were just saying this has got to be one of Picard's like best qualities. Oh, absolutely. It totally seems like, and I mean, Picard knew, hey, we need a pilot. This is the person to pilot. Even the fact that when DS9 opens up, he has this moment with Chief O'Brien to say, like, 
this this transporter room is not going to feel the same without you. It's like he knows the transporter chief for crying out loud. Absolutely, uh, he's phenomenal at that. Okay, five stars. <laughs> exactly. Now Lorca is interesting because now he maybe uses people. Does he? Do you feel like he actually knows their strengths? Like I'm, I'm thinking especially of like Saru. Does he understand what Saru like a benefit that he would have? You know, I would argue that Lorca's actually good at figuring out what people are good at and using them to his advantage. Mm. I would give him four. He ran a resistance against mm. Giorgio in the in the mirror universe. Okay, he has some managerial qualities here okay okay (laughs) he's he's good at figuring out how to put people in a position where he can use them better gotcha all right i'll take your word for it because again this is part that i don't know so last but not least improving themselves now this is a tough one for picard i don't know like we talked about with iborg the seeing a flaw seeing a bias that he has having it called out and changing recognizing this is something that is bad. I want to not do this anymore. I think that doesn't go without saying, but as far as the Picard we see in season seven versus the Picard we see in season one, like how much did he grow as a, as a person, as a leader, as a, as a human uh, I mean, again, that's kind of the point of the final episode. Yeah, I don't think he grows a lot. Mm. You know, we can look back to his experience with the Borg as something that changed his character. That's true. I would give him a, a two. Okay, I gave him a three. Now, Lorca, it sounds like this is not a strength of his. No. He, is that true? He fails. So to improve himself and thus. Any any yeah. sense of redemption or improvement at all? No. No. No, I would give him a one for Just that. Just ones. Okay. All right. So through seven habits, our final score then for round one of Lorca, 39 points. Captain Picard, 57. Picard advances to the next round. Moving on ahead to Captain Kirk against Captain Jellico. So starting with proactive. On the flip side from Picard, Kirk feels pretty proactive. He's a go-getter. He's a kind of leading by the seat of his pants. Mm-hmm. Bold seems to be a big uh, a big strength of Captain Kirk's. Definitely. I would give him high marks for being proactive. Okay. This He's going to be... strike first <laughs> every time. Okay. And then Captain Jellico in that episode is like his thing is that he's a negotiator. Like that's what he's kind of known for. So proactive... I mean, I guess I'm thinking about that scene where, what is it, like, even before he comes on board, he makes them wait in the ready room because, like, this is the strategy that he's using, and he's he always seems very sure of himself. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about with Picard, he takes his time with things. Hmm. I wouldn't call him particularly proactive. Okay. Yeah, I would give him a three. Wow, okay, okay. I'm I'm giving him a four, but now visionary. Thinking about Kirk as a visionary, like starting with the end in mind. On one side, you know, early in uh, the Federation, and so the the prime directive is a little bit looser. But it does feel like some of the changes that he makes are with the end in mind. Like if I change mm-hmm. this society like this, then they will end up developing in this direction. Like, that does seem to have a level of visionary aspect to it. It goes back to his boldness, I guess, in mm, um, yeah. believing that he should have an effect like that. But yeah, it, it definitely does uh, show that he has some visionary aspects to it. Okay, okay. He is constantly looking to what the future is going to be for the Federation. Hmm. Like, he, he has that that idea in mind. Hmm. I would give him a four. Okay, that's what I thought as well. Priorities, having the first things first. Now, this is a tricky one because, I mean, Kirk is well-renowned for his female uh, attachments or, or whatever we want to call. So that doesn't seem like great priorities did he ever put the ship in danger because of something like that i mean it seems like he must have but i don't remember a specific case i can't think of anything off the top of my head so thinking about star trek 3 right 
steals the Enterprise, blows up the Enterprise, all because <laughs> he want like Spock was the priority. I mean, that's literally the <laughs> point, right? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And then the need of the one outweighed the needs of the many. So again, this might be a little Lorca-ish where he's clear on his priorities, but as a captain, does he let his priorities affect his crew? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. Well, wait a minute. Hang on a second. (laughs) The number of red shirts that were lost on his away (laughs) missions makes it seem like he wasn't prioritizing those crew members. Definitely not the safety of them. <laughs> right. I yeah, feel like I, that alone. Yeah. I I agree with that. I would put him, you know, low on that. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with a three. A three. Okay. Now, I feel like with Jellico, on one side, mm-hmm. we do see, like, his priorities are getting this treaty signed and et cetera, et cetera. But as his conflict with Riker, it feels like he is so dead set on his... His way is his way that then like he is unable to prioritize anything else. And he has to, I mean, that's where he has to like humble himself to do things a different way because like he's, he's prioritized his, his habits and his rhythms over the needs of the crew. I would agree with that. That's one of his main differences, I think Mm. with Picard because of his, his, relationship with Riker and that I would say that he's a two. Okay. That's what I was thinking as well. All right. And so then win, win, not being selfish and not being a martyr. Uh, we kind of just talked about that with Jellico with Kirk. Does he always want the crew to win as well as himself? Uh, I definitely don't think Kirk had like a martyr thing where, no, he he would be willing to sacrifice himself. I mean, not that I think he wouldn't be, but that wasn't like his thing. But then the selfishness, as far as like a leader and a captain, I don't know that I see much selfishness either. I mean, literally, <laughs> there's the whole thing in Star Trek too about him not believing in the no-win scenario. Mm-hmm. Is that there's always a win out there. Right. I do kind of wonder, I mean, this might not be the same thing, but like because he wasn't a believer in much diplomacy, that it wasn't less he he could have cared less about the Klingons winning, but they were kind of in they were in conflict as opposed to in next generation, you know, the conflicts were much less overt. So I don't know, this is a tough one. Yeah, this is this is hard because yeah. I think you see a lot of there are times where he tends to be selfish. Hmm. You know, we were talking about with Spock earlier. Mm-hmm. When it's his best friend, he'll move everything aside in mm-hmm. order to to do that. Well, I'll give him an average score hmm. and say he's a three. I think I'm going to give him a four because, again, I don't, I don't know. The selfish part... Yeah, I don't know. Now, Jellico, on the other hand, selfish, martyr, I I don't think that's on the table, but I win, you lose, kind of does feel like my way or the highway. Like, uh, we haven't even gotten to listen yet, and that's definitely where it seems like he will not do well. But I feel like in this area, too, he is so convinced that his way is the way that, yeah, he is unwilling to to consider what that's doing to the crew or anything like that. So it feels like, because he does actually believe that his best is what's best for everybody. So it's Mm -hmm. in his mind, he might see it as a win-win, but it feels like, yeah, it's gotta be like a two for me. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Okay. So now listen is interesting because Kirk listened a lot to Spock and McCoy didn't right. really listen to but anybody else. else. Well, no, and he listens to Scotty. <laughs> Scotty, he never argues with, other than like you've overestimated the amount of time this is going to take. But if, <laughs> if Scotty says the engine's broken, the engine's broken. I'm not going to argue with you. It was somewhat of just his command structure. I don't think there was ever a time that I can recall where like Sulu was like, hey, Captain, I think we should do this. Like, what? I'm not going to listen to you. Like, I don't think he ever did not listen but he didn't seek uh, advice from 
many people. Right. It was the same two people all the yeah, time. But he was very active in seeking from those two. He was, but a good leader seeks a larger hmm. set of set of voices. Okay. Okay. I, I would say a two. A two. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm giving him a four because I think the amount that he listened Ooh. to those two is high. But that's a that's a big uh that's our that's our biggest spread yeah so far okay so now jellico seems like i don't feel like yeah i don't feel like i can give him anything other than a one he just didn't listen to anybody (laughs) so we go from our biggest spread to total agreement yeah 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 it's just it's just and then synergy utilizing others strengths i don't know that this is a strength of kirk's because Again, really? he he didn't use Sulu. He didn't use Chekhov. And if anything, it was usually if something else needed to be done that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy couldn't do, it would just be like, who's next up on the dirty, duty roster? And it was like some random Yahoo. And they're like, <laughs> all right, we'll go send him to do it. Like it, it wasn't – some of it I think is also just the structure, you know. In those days, the captain beamed down every single time. Mm -hmm. And you went with the science officer and you went with the doctor. What more did you possibly need? Even utilizing Spock and McCoy's talents, I don't know other than just like, you're a doctor. Like, well, isn't that literally the thing? Bones, can you do this? And I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. Like, that's not what I'm capable of. So, yeah. Maybe this is not a good one for him. You know, he had people in good positions, though. Hmm. The people that he had there, they were using their strengths to do their job. Right. I That's mean, true. You, you had a bunch of random people wearing red uniforms <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> could just put wherever. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, people were good at what they did. Although mm. I'm, I'm not sure if that's really utilizing their strengths. Uh, I'll give him a three. Wow. Okay. I gave him a one. So Jellico again, kind of the same thing. He doesn't appreciate what people can do. The only exception I feel like is Data. He knows exactly what Data... Well, he doesn't know. But, you know, Data is is a capable device. And so he seems to utilize data. Can you do this data? Can you do this data? I need someone to work 26 hours a day. Like I can do that. Like, great, do that. Uh, and meanwhile, telling everybody else, Hey, you work triple shifts and like, Hey, you do this. Hey, you do this again. This seems like outside of data. This seems like another weakness of his. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. I would give him a, a one for this. Okay. Okay. Last but not least, improving themselves. Now, I feel like this is a strength of Kirk's. Even though Kirk always had a lot of confidence and boldness, I feel like he 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 grew a lot as a character over the years, especially by the time we get to the end of Star Trek VI, where he literally learned, like, it saves the Klingon Chancellor. He learns, even after he'd been imprisoned by them and thrown into Rura Pente, he's still the one that, that literal change of, of you know, uh-huh. I've never trusted Klingons and I never will, to the point where he comes. I mean, I think that's improving as a leader. Like, does he learn yeah. to value his people more? and listen more um maybe i mean again uh, star trek 2 is another example of him growing and learning mm-hmm. and learning the value of sacrifice and loss and the value of life and everything like that part of the advantage though that kirk has is that we see him grow as a leader because we have the the timeline to see that and he definitely does i would definitely agree that he does improve himself I give him a four. Okay, okay. And then Jellico, does he improve himself at all? I mean, he does humble himself to ask for Riker's help, but I don't know that that's improve. I don't know that he ever actually admits that he was wrong. I think he just realizes I need to actually ask and. <laughs> I don't know that he would ever do that again after doing it the one time. No, I don't think so. Mm. Yeah, so I, I would give him a one. Okay. I mean, there's not a lot to say about that. Right, right. I mean, he has the opposite problem. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, we see him for two episodes. Exactly. Who knows but what would have happened. But judging off of those two episodes, 
I I would give him a one. Yeah. All right. So then the final score is Kirk scores a 50 and Jellico scores a 30. So unsurprisingly, our one and two seeds both move on to the next round. All right. Now we're getting into a little bit more of the nitty gritty. We've got Captain Christopher Pike going up against Captain Benjamin Sisko. Starting off with proactive Sisko. Obviously the ones that come up are thinking about some of the six season war episodes, the darkest night where they, you know, he gets Garrick to come up with this conspiracy, whatever, to get the Romulans into the war. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he regrets that kind of, sort of. I mean, that's the whole episode that he's really wrestling with that. I feel like he's a little on the passive side as far as his whole job in initially is to get Bajor into the Federation and he seems a little passive on that side of things yeah I don't know he feels a little middle to me where I feel like sometimes he's proactive sometimes he's he's bold but sometimes he does feel a little reserved especially in the earlier seasons I think I would agree with that you have the more more beginning of the series Cisco and Mm. You know, the end of the series, Cisco. Hmm. And I I mean, we'll get to how he improved himself later. Right. There is a big difference in his boldness hmm. with everything that, that happened during the series, you hmm. know, and what so I, I would give him a three to average those. Yeah, that's kind of what I then that's where I landed as well, as yeah. a three. All right, now Pike, and again, you're gonna have to kind of weigh in on Pike because I'm uh I only know him really from uh, the cage. Uh, mm-hmm. But as far as boldness and proactive, I mean, we didn't see anything in the cage that made me feel like he was bold. Now, do we see that in Discovery? I would say that 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 the pike that we see in Discovery is is definitely more on the bold side of mm. things. Okay. And I would give him a four for that. Okay. Okay. I'll trust you on that one. Visionary. Now this is kind of a joke because literally Cisco's role as the emissary <laughs> is that he has visions, but that's not quite talking about like having the end in mind again, especially with this, Hey, you're supposed to bring Bajor into the Federation. He had no idea how to, he had no plan. There was no, and granted that's somewhat on the Federation's fault in the the war season there's a little bit more visionary side because you know he's got Mm -hmm. kind of the long i mean especially again we were just talking about the darkest night where um bringing the romulans into the war effort is the ends that justifies the means some of those things i feel like as ridiculous as it sounds he has to get points for the whole emissary thing is that that he can literally have visions to see what the future is and tells people like (laughs) hey we can't join the federation now because there's a swarm of locusts heading towards the farm or or whatever he's got to at least get some points for that i think he is he is visionary in that regard What's your score for him? I got to give him a four. I would give him a three if I didn't count the whole having visions thing. But again, I feel like he has to at least get a bump because that (laughs) literally fits. (laughs) I would stay at a three. Okay. Now, how about Pike? We kind of talked about like with Kirk, where Kirk had some of the prime directive interference, but then being able to see how it's going to mm-hmm. turn out long course. Is that similar with Pike? Or I would also rate Pike's visionary capacity as also pretty average. Hmm, you know, okay. I would also say that he's about a three. Okay. Because he's not he's not particularly visionary, hmm. but he's also not like closed-minded to things. Okay. So now priorities. Cisco, I, I keep bringing up the 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 wrongs of the darkest night because that was the priority. The like he mm-hmm. was crystal clear and like literally even doing things that make me uncomfortable or that I'm questioning. I'm willing yeah. to do this because of the priority. However. The challenge with his priorities is his emissary role, is that he's kind of torn between two worlds. What are my priorities? Are my priorities with the Federation or are my priorities with Bajor? And almost all the time, to his own detriment, he chooses the Federation. 
I mean, that's what we saw at the end of season six. Like he mm-hmm. chose the Federation when the prophets told him not to go to wherever it was. And Dax died because of it. He, it could be a strength, but there's got to be a minus because of that. Yeah. So I land on a four. Where do you land then? I'm going to say I'm going to say a four as well. OK, OK. I, I, I'll agree with that. He is able to prioritize what what's important towards his goals, mm. you know, which is tough because we are talking about his role as a leader and as a captain, not his role as the emissary. Right. Should he have prioritized? It depends yeah. on who you ask, I suppose. So. so now what about Pike? How does he land priority wise? I think what we see in Pike is he consistently prioritizes the things that are important. Hmm. The mission, his crew. Um, he's good at keeping those things in mind and not getting distracted. So I, I think he's pretty good at pri- prioritization. I give him a four. Hmm. from what we see in discovery okay so now how about win-win not being a selfish not being a martyr captain cisco hmm i mean martyr does kind of feel like sacrificing himself for mm-hmm. the sake of others i mean that does kind of feel like his thing because again right. even when uh you know the prophets tell him you'll know nothing but sorrow it's kind of like well it's gotta happen so yeah. I, I feel like he, he does that a lot hmm. in the show. Yeah. That he, he he's a martyr. He he is he's the definition of a martyr as yeah. far as you know I these mean, captains go. Except for I would say that I don't know that we see him suffer a whole lot. Because we th- I mean he certainly isn't like he doesn't put like Jake's needs below like where Jake suffers because, or that he fails as a dad because Mm -hmm. of the decisions he made. We don't see when he gets married to Cassidy, we don't really see him. I mean, there's, you know, he still goes to war. He doesn't leave the Federation or something like that, but I don't know. I, 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 this is kind of a, this is kind of a tricky one because I mean, the joke on DS9 is always O'Brien is the one who's always suffering. They put the chief in (laughs) any situation you need to be thrown in jail or you need to be tortured. Well, you know, have him rip out a couple of the chief's teeth. Um, (laughs) Cisco doesn't really do that. But to be able to like, yeah, give up his own needs. I feel like that might be on the low side. I might go as low as a two. That's exactly where I was thinking. There we go. So now Pike is Pike because it's it's the weird thing is that it does feel like the martyr, you wins and so I lose, almost feels like a like a good thing, like a like especially in a television show. Yeah, that's what we like to see. You know, somebody who's willing to sacrifice themselves. So is that Pike? I feel like he's never really in that situation. Hmm. That we don't really get to see it. He's definitely not selfish. He's definitely okay. not the other way. Yeah, I would. I would say he's a he's a three on okay. these. Uh, and then listening. Hmm. I mean, Cisco obviously listens a lot to Dax because they're lifelong buddies. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he doesn't listen. Because if anything, it feels like, I don't know, maybe this is actually pretty high. Because it feels like as part of his role in trying to be like the intermediary, especially in the early seasons between Bajor and the Federation, it does feel like listening is kind of his thing. Is yeah. He needs to like, like, you know, from right from the beginning where Kira is this revolutionary who's screaming all the time and he's just kind of like, hey, 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 I'm, I'm here. I'm on, I'm on your side. Like that mm-hmm. does feel like a strength even though it doesn't necessarily play out like we said with picard where picard is like hey i want to do this thing what do you think what do you think what do you think even though i mean i would say especially compared to kirk cisco definitely has more like wardroom uh meetings let's get the senior staff together and let's talk about this thing that does seem to be a thing that that he did Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i may have talked myself into either a four or a five yeah, I I would agree. I think I think he's a good listener. I mean, mm. as a diplomat and as a captain, I, I would give him a five. Okay. Okay. Now, how does Pike do listening? Does he listen to? I think that Pike does a good job in making sure that people feel heard. But he spends a lot of time with his crew when he's looking for advice. He's going to number one. Mm. You know. 
like Michael, when when Michael's talking to him or Saru's talking to him or the other people, they're informing him of things. Uh-huh. And he's he's making decisions based on that. But I don't think that he is seeking their advice or mm, anything like that. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give him a two on Whoa. this. Okay. Now, how about synergy? So uh, utilizing other people's strengths. So now I think the case I might make for Cisco would be Nog. That Cisco was the one who believed in Nog, that Nog could had something inside of him that could mm-hmm. actually contribute and gave him the opportunity when nobody else would have. I feel like that speaks fairly loudly. Because, you know, utilizing Dax, hey, analyze this science thing, science guy or girl. Like, nah, okay, you know, or or Bashir, hey, we need a doctor's advice here. I don't know that that's, you know, anything special. Odo, uh, I don't know how well Cisco, Cisco managed Odo. I don't know that he utilized right. Odo. Or the Odo felt like, wow, this guy really appreciates me like no one else has. I don't, I don't know, but the Nog thing that bumps yeah. him up in my eyes. I, I might, agree with that too. I might give him. I'll say that I'm going to give Cisco a three on this. Okay, okay, I'm going to stick with you. I think three is solid. Now, how about Pike? Does he utilize other strengths? Now, the interesting thing you've kind of mentioned is that he, he he's kind of dealing with two crews, right? He comes from the Enterprise and he brings the Enterprise crew with him. Does right. he utilize Discovery's crew as well as his own crew? I mean, he he is the captain aboard Discovery. Right. You know, for the time. So he jumps into a new, a ready-made crew aboard Discovery. Hmm. He is able to get to know them and to use them where they are. And I think there's something to be said for that. I don't think that it's enough to push him to a four. Okay. But I, w- I would keep him at a three. He's a solid, just as, solid three. You know, yeah. Okay. Just as a, yeah. Because he is able to jump into that position and be able to use them. Right, right. So, and then improving themselves. Now, this is an interesting one with Cisco. I would say he definitely improves in his role as emissary. But that's not what we're talking about here. But when I look at, like, the leadership style of Cisco early on, his likability improved. But was he a better leader after seven years than he was at the beginning. So now I'm thinking about his beef with Picard in the very first episode. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was ready to quit Starfleet in the pilot, and then he ends up by the end of the series falling in love with Bajor and saying, this is my destiny to be here. But even just his character in that first episode, like he can't even address Picard respectfully because of what he has suffered mm-hmm. and that affected how he interacted with other Starfleet officers compared to like how he interacted with uh, Admiral Ross during the war and he was his adjunct if he would have met Captain Picard after seven years I feel like he would be a different kind of a leader and he might be able to even see him as an equal as opposed to a uh, yeah like a an enemy or whatever So what do you think? So I feel like I've talked myself up. A four seems a little bit high, but all of the other growth that I think we see in him, I feel like I'm comfortable enough to say four. I am too, because what we talked about, you know, you have the beginning of the series, Cisco, and the end of the series, Cisco. And there is a difference there, you know, and I think that, you know, he goes to war he becomes a diplomat. You know, you, you have all these things that happen to him that really affect the way that he leads. Hmm. And I think you see that in the way in the later seasons about how he he interacts with the crew and how he makes decisions. He's more sure of himself. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And um, I he's I think he's a better leader by the end. So oh. I honestly I think I would give him a five. Wow. For okay. This. Okay. Captain Pike. We only get to see him in one season. But in the one season, I don't know, does he do you feel like he improves himself? No, I mean not really. That he he's pretty much the same character in the beginning as he is at the end. Mm. 
honestly, I can't think of a single difference from the beginning to the end. So I guess we would put that as a one. I guess so. Cisco squeaks out a victory to move to the next round. Final score was Pike 40, Cisco 50. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was closer. All right, so our final matchup, five versus four. We've got Archer versus Janeway. Proactive Janeway. She seems fairly high on this. She doesn't seem terribly hesitant to me or yeah. she doesn't seem terribly timid. I mean, she charges in, you know, against the, to get the Maquis and that's how she ends up in the quadrant in the first place. Mm-hmm. All of her like bold dealings with the Borg. She seems very sure of herself, not reckless, like maybe Kirk or certainly Lorca, but confident, bold, proactive, I've talked myself up to a five. I'm going to give her a five. A five? Yeah. Wow. She is definitely proactive. I'm going to give her a four. Okay. For that. That's fair. Now, Archer always seemed a little timid to me. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying necessarily, again, as like a, as like a detriment that he mm-hmm. was, he was, you know, uh, he, uh, I don't know. Oh, the shit blew up. Like, no. But <laughs> he didn't seem, I don't know that bold and proactive would be like a strength. I don't know that I would go so far as to say a weakness, but I think I might go with a two. Yeah, I was thinking the yeah? same. Yeah, okay. He's not particularly proactive, and we think less so. He He's a deliberator. Yeah. I don't think he's quite a one, but I think he's less than average. Okay. So now visionary. Now this one for Janeway, it almost feels too easy where it's just like, well, obviously for seven years she has one goal and it's to get them home. But the vagueness of that goal where it's just, we're just going to head home and we're going to figure it out as we go. That feels a little like, is that the best plan you could come up with? They would experiment with various things. You know, they tried like the slipstream drive and they found various like, oh, this might be a way home. And uh, and then some of the things that she was cautious about where it's like this, this seems like this might be too good to be true or whatever. The thing with the Borg and species eight, five, seven, nine, six, zero, whatever <laughs> that species is called. And... Her thought was, if we help you get rid of this species, you help us get through here. That's rather short-sighted, where you had the ability to defeat the Borg, but you gave them the ability instead to defeat this foe. That feels like that might be a strike against the visionary thing. I'm three. Where, where, what, what were you going to say? I mean, she, she clearly and obviously has the vision of getting home. Sure. I don't think that she's particularly more visionary than any of the other captains, hmm. but certainly not less. Yeah. It, it's a different kind of show. Yeah. You know? Right. She clearly has one mission here is right. to get her crew home safely. Which I don't you know, know if that's that, visionary or if that's the next category about priorities. Right. So Archer. Archer, his his vision towards the end is, is creating the Federation. Is it really? In season four? Wouldn't you say? I mean, I feel like that was just kind of slapped together at the end. That he, because like, you know, the whole third season arc with the Zindi, like, what's he doing? And again, and some of this is just the situation he finds himself in. It seems like he's just like, I'm just going to go out there and figure it out you know and the same thing like the the temporal cold war he was more the just being pulled along Um, yeah that's true he still had this chip on his shoulder it seemed where this chip on the shoulder the vulcans held us back for x long not as big as like trips chip (laughs) but uh (laughs) he he definitely like in his interactions with the vulcans he was never thinking about like well gosh we really want to broker a p- so that they can see us as equals other than just like, like stick it to you. Then you'll see us as well, equals. Okay. But like a vision of humans going out past the restrictions that the Vulcans have, have okay. imposed on That's them. That's fair. Yeah. And I guess we do see that in, especially in the, the, like the first episode and like he was, he was the first captain. So I guess that's yeah. a good point that, that does he- earn him some higher marks. He has higher goals, mm. you know, than yeah. just getting the ship 
safely through whatever. He yeah. has higher goals than that consistently. I okay. I think that he's I think he's an excellent visionary. I okay. I'm going to say a five. Whoa. Okay. I'm still sticking with a three, but because uh, the Zindi thing. But hey, yeah, that averages I, out I, to I a Zindi thing. Um, okay. Priorities. Now, Janeway, as I was reflecting on, like, and you started talking about this too. I think this is something she does very well. Yes. Uh, the one where they run into the ship was also from the Federation that mm-hmm. was like murdering these aliens or something to get them home faster. Janeway was always, this is our priority, but our real priority is to be true to who we are. Like we're not going to not be the Federation. We're not going to not represent ourselves well at the same time. I absolutely agree with that. I'm thinking five. Yeah. Yep. I'm a five too. Okay. Archer's priorities. I don't have an issue with Archer's priorities. I don't think. I mean, again, other than that chip on the shoulder, which I feel like is going to be a negative down the line. It does feel like in that whole Zindi thing, there is a level of priority of like, this has to be done. Like, even like you were talking about with the visionary thing, it does feel like he, this is so important. Like, cause that's where the, there's this terrible accident and they're going to recall the enterprise for like yeah. failing their mission. And he's like, this is the priority. We have to do this. This is so important. So it does right. feel like, yeah. And I mean, I don't know that he prioritizes the wrong things. I mean, I agree with what you're saying there. I, I would put him at a four. Okay, that's that. what I thought too, a four as well. Now, win-win, I don't know, Janeway. I don't know, it feels very similar to P- Picard, I think, where I don't know that she we saw her put herself out there as much, but I certainly didn't feel like she was selfish a whole lot. I would agree with that. I, I think it's pretty average, you know, for her. I'd do a three. Okay, I gave Picard a four, so I got to give her a four. So now Archer, selfish or martyr? I feel like Archer's got a martyr thing going. He's got the Kirk thing where he's always the one leading the away missions and he's down there. And there would be the times like, you know, like when, what was it? When he was battling with uh, Silic on the time thing and he fought him. He's like, no, you go ahead. Leave me behind. And like, whatever. That was kind of, didn't he do that in like the second episode? Or maybe yeah, it was the first was episode. Really, yeah. yeah, he was more okay with sacrificing himself. Which again, I don't know that it's as detrimental. I mean, again, I don't, I haven't read Stephen Covey's thing, but I wouldn't think that's as detrimental as the opposite being selfish and saying you lose so I can win saying Mm -hmm. I'll lose so that you can win is maybe not ideal as a leader, but is at the very least better. So I feel like I'd land on like a three. Yeah. You know what? I think I'm going to go with a two on this one. As much as I like Archer, he does the martyr thing. Right. A lot. It's not a great thing for a leader. Okay. Now, listening, Janeway listens to Chakotay a lot, at least in the early episodes that I saw. She and Chakotay just, I mean, they were having tea together or whatever. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, it feels like Tom Paris was always like, what do you think, Tom? Should we do this? I don't know why you're asking Tom Paris, but (sighs) I feel like it's maybe, for me, it's maybe a similar thing to Kirk, where... I don't know that she consulted as many people as like a Picard did, but the amount of times that she did consult Chakotay seemed significant, especially early on where there was the whole Maquis versus Federation thing. And it did Mm -hmm. seem like she wasn't like a, listen, my way or the highway. She was a little bit more, you know, I want to incorporate, I want to, to have your voice in here. You know what? Okay, there we go. I just talked myself up a, up a notch. I was going to go with a three, but now as I sit with that, I think that bumps it up to a four for me. Yeah, I'd go with that. Okay. Yeah. Now, Archer might be similar because Archer and Trip are like best buds. I mean, sometimes it almost feels like <laughs> inappropriately he just has the captain's ear because they're eating. Constantly. I know. They're eating every meal together. They're watching water polo on whatever that is. <laughs> Um, so, and that's, again, very Kirk-ish. Yeah, he's got his click. Yeah. You know, he's got Trip and he's got T'Pol. 
I don't know why. I'm feeling a three. I'm feeling a three. Yeah, I am too. Okay. Okay. So now Synergy, it feels like starting in season, what is it, four, when Seven of Nine shows up? It's, well, let's just have Seven of Nine do it all. Well, hey, she's got Borg nanoprobe. Send them off to do something. Or, hey, she knows how to calculate. Have her interface, blah, 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 blah. It was like Seven does everything. And Tom Paris is, well, have him pilot this and have him test this and have him do this. And then there's Harry, who, what's Harry good at? I don't know. <laughs> I, I like, and other than Bolana, where Bolana Torres you know, was not the chief engineer. And she was the one that Chakotay said, oh, she's great. And she's like, what are you crazy? Why in the world would we give turn things over to her? But she did. And so she did kind of entrust that. I don't know. I still feel like I got to land on like a three because I don't know that it's a the utilization of everybody else. Yeah. I don't know. This one has been so difficult because it's hard to see really what utilizing them would really look like. Right. I would go with a three here too. Okay. And then Archer, one of the things I really liked about that first episode of Enterprise was the assembling of the team. Like he went out and he got Hoshi and he, but he got Trip, who's our, my engine guy. And he got, so it does feel like, you know, like we talked about with Kirk, I think he did put the people in those positions, especially with Hoshi. Not only was he utilizing what like, Hey, I need someone to translate this. It did feel like he was always kind of pushing her to like, yeah. you can do this better. Like, I believe in you. You can do more. Yeah. Maybe that's what real good utilization looks like. I would put him at a four. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with a four. All right. And then last but not least, improving. And man, yeah, this is a tough one with Janeway because uh, the later seasons I'm just not as familiar with. It does sound like they shifted so that instead of J- Janeway being the main character, Seven was the main character. So it felt like they worked more on her development than on Janeway's development. I think she's a, she improved a bit. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't like night and day. Yeah. But she definitely improved. Okay. I, I think I'd give her a four. Wow. Okay. Well, I was going to give her a three. And then Archer. I mean, the one thing that has to be like, because since I mentioned it at the beginning, the chip on his shoulder about the Vulcans, it does seem like his relationship with T'Pol, he grew in that. Does he get worse as time goes on? He might. Really? More selfish in the things that he does. Or um, it's him or just bad episodes that make it feel like (laughs) he's not as good at leading the Enterprise as he was in the beginning maybe i don't know i'll i'll give him a three okay i'm landing on three two i'm comfortable with that and so with that yet again our favorite captain janeway uh sneaks by with a 53 versus archers 45 advancing her to the semi-final so my friends after all of that what we have landed on was no no upsets thus far. Picard defeated Lorca, Kirk defeated Jellico, Cisco defeated Pike, and Janeway defeated Archer. So that leads us. Our semifinal will be Kirk versus Cisco and Picard versus Janeway. We're going to find a different ranking system, which may be a little unfair, but hopefully if they're the best of the best, they should be able to survive regardless. So obviously Kirk and Picard come in as the heavy favorites, but you never know. All right. That was a whole lot, my friends. So, all right. But I think for one episode, we, uh, we have done all we're going to do now. So, I think this is the time where, my friends, we are supposed to say, Live long and prosper. Peace and long life.